Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 102. Hey, Richers, it's so great to be here today with you again, like every Monday morning, and thank you for being here. Before I'll jump on to my fantastic guest today, I would like to invite you to the richormiss.com website. Go to the homepage, check out whether one of the free guides for branding, go-to-market strategy, or the free online course about choosing the best name and logo for your business can be right for you. I believe it can help you a lot on your journey to reach your entrepreneurial business success. And now I would like to talk about my special interview today, Josh Steimley. Josh Steimley is an author, speaker, entrepreneur, and executive coach. He has written over 300 articles for publications like Fortune, Time, Forbes, Inc., Mashable, TechCrunch, and Entrepreneur, and is the author of Chief Marketing Officers at Work which was recognized in Success Magazine as one of the five best business books of 2016. Entrepreneur Magazine put Josh on their 50 inspirational entrepreneurs to watch in 2017 list. Forbes recognized him as one of the 25 marketing influencers to watch in 2017 and he was ranked number seven on Richard Topia's list of top 100 most influential CMOs. Josh lives on a farm near Boston with his wife, two children, and 27 horses, and is an avid reader, trail runner, triathlete, and skateboarder. Josh Stimely, what a real pleasure to have you here. Hi. Thank you, Hayat. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's so great to talk with you. And as I told you before, I was planning to interview you for quite a long time. I see your articles all over and I see what you do and it's fantastic. And I really wanted my listeners to hear about that. So thank you for coming. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? So what I'm most passionate about today is influence, personal influence. I believe most people are good people. And if I can help people to increase their influence, to be more influential, then they will use that influence to do good things and make the world a better place. So that's my mission. I'm on a mission to help people become more influential so they can change the world. Wow. Do you have specific ways that you are working by with people or you're just doing it in different ways? I do. I, I have courses. I have a book that I'm writing right now called The Seven Systems of Influence. I have my blog. I have an email newsletter and I'm active on social media. Yeah. But the, the way this all came about is because I have a business, a digital marketing agency. Mm -hmm. 
And we don't focus on personal branding or influence. We focus on helping businesses to sell more. So we do search engine optimization and things like that. When a few years ago, I started working on my personal brand as a way to market that agency, and it really worked in a huge, huge way, which maybe we can get into more detail later. But yeah, I want to. it was that experience of working on my personal brand and seeing it build my business that made me think, this is fun, and this is something that I would love to help other people do. I'd love to help other people work on their personal brand so they can build their business or get their message out. And that's how this all started. And then it went to from coaching to these courses to working on this book. And I'm trying to get the word out any way I can to help people understand how personal branding works, how influence works, so they can apply it in their businesses or their lives. Wow. And what really worked for you? What was the one or two things that really made it for you in terms of becoming an influencer? Well, I... I wish I could say that I was smart and I had a plan and I came up with this creative idea and it really worked out well, but it was an accident. It dropped in my lap. I have a friend, Cheryl Snap Connor, and she's a public relations guru. And she was writing for Forbes. And I went to her and I said, hey, I need help with my business, marketing my business. What could I do in terms of PR to help my business grow? And she gave me some tips. But then I asked her, I said, how'd you get into this Forbes writing thing? And she said, oh, well, Forbes has this contributor program where you write for free and Forbes gives you the privilege of publishing your articles on Forbes and it's great publicity for your business and what you're doing. And she said, hey, do you want me to introduce you to my editor? Hmm. And I almost turned her down because I was so busy running my business. I thought, oh, I don't have time to write an article every single week for Forbes. Hmm. I almost turned her down, but I kept my mouth shut and I just said, thank you. Yes, I would love an introduction to your editor. And so... Hmm. Two weeks later, she introduced me to her editor at Forbes. He read my blog. He liked what I was writing. He said, hey, we want you to write for Forbes. And so this was in 2013. And I began posting articles on Forbes once a week. And once I figured out what I was doing on Forbes, it started generating a lot of leads for my business and helped our business sure. grow. And over the past few years, we've been able to track millions, over $5 million in revenue back to the articles wow. that I've written for Forbes. So it's been huge for my business. It's been huge for me. And those articles on Forbes led to writing for other publications. So now I've written for over 20 publications, including Fortune, Time, Entrepreneur, Inc., Fast Company. Incredible. And did you always love to write? I did. I've really loved writing since I was a young age. In fact, I got in trouble for writing when I was younger, when I was a kid in school. I wrote, yeah. I wrote an essay that got me kicked out of school. I had to... My oh. parents had to find a new school to put me in because I wrote kind of a uh, protest paper against the school and some of the, it would have been worse today. I mean, in the environment we're in today, it probably would have gotten me thrown into some sort of program for troublesome children, but instead they just kicked me out of the school. <laughs> but so my writing... How old were you? <laughs> I was, let's see, I must have been about 10 years old at the time. Wow. And <laughs> so, yeah, I wrote, I wrote this essay. It, it was kind of advocating violence against the school and stuff. And it wasn't very smart, but it was, it, that taught me the power of writing, the power that, hey, I can write something and I can get even adults to react to my writing as a kid. And so I, I never realized that this was a thing I really enjoyed doing though, or that I was a writer. I never thought of myself as a writer until I was well into my mid-30s and got this opportunity to write for Forbes. That's when, when I started writing for Forbes, that's when I realized, wow, I really enjoy this, and I'm writing the same articles that 
professional writers are writing and it's alongside their articles and people are reading my articles just like I'm a professional. <laughs> and I had a little bit of imposter syndrome feeling like, well, I'm not a trained journalist and I've never gone to journalism school. But the more I did it, the more I realized, hey, like people enjoy my stuff just as much as they're enjoying the stuff from the professionals out there. So sure. maybe I have a gift for this. And that's when I started to identify myself as, hey, I'm a writer. This is what I do. But <laughs> that was only recently. But now that I look back, I can see that it's been there all along. So how do you see yourself today? Are you an agency? Are you, a, I don't know, a private coach or <laughs> helping people to become influencers? How do you see yourself? I like to think of myself as a teacher or a coach mostly because I love working with people one-on-one. -on -one. I love getting in a room with somebody and sitting down with them and really digging into their audience, their zone of genius, their, the content that they want to create and helping them work through those steps on how they can use content to impact their audience and get the results that they want. But of course, I can only sit down with a few people And so that's why I'm writing this book. That's why I'm producing content on LinkedIn and other places is because I want to help more people. I believe that when you have something that people need or that is helpful to people, you have an obligation to spread that content as far as you can. Mm. And so I'm trying Beautiful. to use every channel I can to help people become more influential. And so that's the book, that's the blog, that's the email newsletter, that's social media, that's everything. But primarily, I think of myself as an entrepreneur because I do own two businesses that I'm running and a writer because mm -hmm. I do a lot of writing and a speaker. I do a lot of speaking at events and such and podcasts. And I love speaking almost as much as I love writing. <laughs> In terms of the coaching and helping people to become more influential, which I think is so important and you said it so beautifully, who are your customers Do they have any specific characters? Are they mainly writers? Are they mainly entrepreneurs? Who are your customers? I love working with a lot of different people. I work with executives and I love that. I wrote a book about chief marketing officers a few years ago and I love working with executives. I also love working with working professionals. So people who are working in a business and maybe they're trying to progress in their career, find a new career, jumpstart something. But really the audience I connect with the best is small business owners and mid-size entrepreneurs. So for example, this morning I was talking with an entrepreneur. He's American, but he's based in China. He has a company with about 75 employees and they make solar industry products, solar panels and things that go into the solar industry. Yeah. And he said, hey, I'm growing this business and we, we don't have anybody doing marketing in the business. It's all been word of mouth. And I feel like I need to work on my personal brand to spread the message about what we're doing. We've had great growth, but I see the potential that if I work on my personal brand, we could double or triple the size of this business over the next five years. And so we've, we were talking this morning about the possibility of him writing a book, how he could get on podcasts, how he can invest more time on LinkedIn and draw more attention to what he's doing. And those are the people I think I connect with because I've been an entrepreneur for the past sure. 20 plus years running a business. And so I really relate to people who are trying to grow their businesses through thought leadership and through their personal brand, because that's what I've done over the past several years as well. As an entrepreneur and someone that works with entrepreneurs, what would be your best advice to entrepreneurs regarding their customer focus and customer approach? 
what can you say to them? Because, you know, this podcast is all about being customer focused. This is the lack that I see and everybody is talking about. I think even more foundational than product market fit is something that I learned while I was writing this book, Chief Marketing Officers at Work. And the way I wrote this book is I went out and I interviewed 30 CMOs from large companies. So companies from, well, and small companies, but I interviewed CMOs from Target, PayPal, Spotify, GE, wow. and then a bunch of startups as well. And as I interviewed these brilliant marketers from who had very successful track records in these companies, one thing stood out across the board with all these marketers, which was empathy. These marketers really understood their customers. They could get inside the minds of their hmm. customers. They might do focus groups. They would do testing and such, but they really understood fundamentally what their customers wanted. And so it was kind of like Steve Jobs saying, that he didn't need to do focus groups because he knew what the people wanted and they right. were waiting for him to tell them that they wanted an iPhone. Nobody, nobody in a focus group ever said, I need an iPhone, but Steve Jobs knew right. that people would love that device and that they needed that device because he had empathy for his audience. And hmm. when we fail to find product market fit, it's usually because we don't understand our customer. We don't know what they really want. And so rather than doing testing and focus groups and surveys and things like that. I mean, those are all helpful, but really it's getting in touch with the customer, becoming the customer, walking in their shoes, finding ways to really understand who they are and be them. I found that that's the fundamental thing that really connects us and helps us to sell product because then we say, I know the audience wants this, or I know that my customer wants this because I am my customer. I understand who my customer is and I want this. Hmm. You've got a lot of successes. You already started to tell us about that and we'll go over it in a minute. But I would like you to share with us what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most. That's a tough one because I've had so many failures. If, if I've had any success, <laughs> I've had 10 times as many failures. And wow. it's, you know, life's interesting. You especially as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's involved in marketing, you always show off the successful side of what you've done. You trumpet your successes, <laughs> you hide your failures, right? Because you want everybody to, people are drawn to success. And so you want to show off your successes. But this sets up this interesting dynamic where nobody shares their failures. And so you get this impression that everybody's really successful and the people who are all the, all time. the time. And the truth is yeah. everybody who's successful has a bunch of failures behind them. Sure. And it's just nobody wants to talk about it. Well, I'm happy to talk about my failures too, because I feel like that's educational. I feel like that's needed in today's environment. There are a lot of people suffering from depression and such. And a lot of it, I think, goes, especially in the entrepreneurial community, goes back to the fact that we read these magazines and we think everybody's so successful and that hmm. there's something wrong with us if we're not successful. I love it. And I've had some success, but I've had so much failure along the way. A lot, most of my biggest failures, I would say, have to do with people where I made a bad decision either in hiring the wrong person or in hiring the right person, but putting them in the wrong role, or I hired mm -hmm. the right person. Maybe I put them in the right role, but the way that I managed them or the way that I set up their relationship was the wrong way. And so, for example, in 1999, I started my first real business, which was MWI, which is the marketing agency that I still run today. Sure. 
And I brought on a partner after I had known this guy for literally 10 minutes. After 10 minutes of meeting this guy, I thought, this guy's great. He's going to be awesome. I should hire this guy. And I offered him 10% of the business. And he became my Mm -hmm. partner. And over the next three years, it was a nightmare. We did not get along well together. Now, this guy was a good guy. He was not dishonest. He was not he was not unintelligent. He was a smart guy. In fact, he's gone on after we parted ways. He went on to start a private equity firm that ended up with $3 billion under management. He's got a successful venture capital firm and he's very, very successful. He's a very smart guy. So obviously it wasn't, the mistake wasn't that I hired somebody who was stupid. The mistake was not that I hired somebody who was the wrong fit for the job necessarily. But he and I just didn't get along personality-wise. And also, I was young. I was foolish. I didn't know what I was doing. So I was a poor manager. I was a poor leader. (laughs) And we just clashed a lot. And we ended up having to part ways. And I lost my business over that. I had to start over from scratch. And so it really cost me in a big way to have hired this guy on. Now, if I had gotten to know him maybe for a week or two or a couple of months or something, I might have seen, you know what? I like this guy, but not enough to make him my partner in my business. Oh, I could have avoided so much pain. I would have saved my business by making a better decision there. But I rushed into that decision based on a gut instinct that, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be great. And it cost me so much to have made that mistake. So I love this example. And people are really usually don't talk about the mistakes or the failures. So it's a wonderful example. Well, I've got a lot more where the, that came from, but there, there's my biggest mistake, I think. And um, with time, when you look back today, do you regret it? It's, you know, if I could go back and do things differently, I would do things def- differently sure. 100% because sure. I know better because now. Because you know better. However, I never would have learned these lessons unless I went through what I went through. And so I'm glad for every experience I've been through. I'm glad for what I've learned from it. The, the regrets that I have from my time as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, are, and there aren't a lot of these times, but it's the times that I feel like I treated people the wrong way. Mm. There are just a few moments where I feel like, you know, I, did, I made a decision, I said something to somebody, I treated somebody in a certain way, and I wish I would have done that differently. And I should have known better sure. than to say that or to treat that person that way, especially instances where something I said or something I did made somebody feel like they were less of a person or not worth as much of a person. Those are the big regrets that I have where I say I would just cancel that out. No doubt about it. Even then, I guess I could say I'm glad that I can look back and say, I made that mistake. I've learned from it. I'm not going to do that again in the future or I'll do everything I can to avoid it. Sure. But those are the mistakes that I really regret. Yeah, sure. Of course, all of us, we wouldn't be able to be who we are if we didn't have these failures, I guess. And now I would like you to share with us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers? Well, this definitely, in terms of financial success, it really goes back to writing for Forbes. And so when I talked about generating millions of dollars from the articles that we, or that I wrote for Forbes magazine, the way that this worked out is 
in 2013, I got that opportunity to write for Forbes. I also brought on a partner for my business, Corey Blake. He's my partner today. Hmm. And he had just come on. So right when he came on, I started writing for Forbes. And when I first started writing for Forbes, nothing good was happening. I mean, I was getting attention on my articles. People liked my articles, but it wasn't doing anything for my business. And this is because I didn't understand who my audience was and I didn't know how to write for my audience. So after a few months of this, I realized this is taking a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of effort, putting a lot of effort into these articles, and I'm not really getting anything out of it other than that it's fun and it's building my ego up, but it's not generating mm -hmm. anything for the business. And I can't afford to do this unless it's benefiting the business. So I started looking at this and saying, well, who am I writing for? Who's my audience and who should be my audience? And I realized I was targeting the wrong audience. I was writing for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs don't hire my agency. Of course. So I started saying, well, who is hiring my agency? Well, it's mid-sized to larger businesses mostly. Hmm. And really who I'm looking for is people who are looking to hire marketing agencies. That's my audience. Once I understood that, it totally changed the content I was creating. So instead of writing articles saying, here are all the tough things I've been through as an entrepreneur and how you can avoid these mistakes, instead, I started writing articles saying, here's how to do your marketing if you're an entrepreneur or a small business or a mid-sized business or a Fortune 500 business. Here's how to do search engine optimization. Here's how to invest in content marketing. And then I wrote one article that was the golden one, which was I created an article called four tips on how to hire an SEO firm. And mm. this article came out of some frustration because here I am running an agency and clients would come to me, potential clients, and we would pitch them. And sometimes they would hire us and sometimes they wouldn't hire us. And sometimes they wouldn't hire us because we weren't the right fit for them. But sometimes they wouldn't hire us. And I knew that we were the best fit for that company. And yet they still didn't hire us. Okay. And that was frustrating to me. So I wrote this article to say, hey, when you're hiring an SEO firm, here are the things you should do. You should ask for references. You should make that the firm is the right fit for you. And I explain to people, here's how to hire the right firm. I don't care if they read that article and they don't hire me as long as they're hiring the right agency for them. When I wrote that article, something happened, which was because it was on Forbes, it had a lot of credibility. And so it jumped to the top of Google whenever somebody would search how to hire an SEO firm. Wow. Well, who is typing into Google how to hire an SEO firm? People Some. who want to hire SEO firms. Definitely. So people were saying, hey, I need to hire an SEO firm. They go to Google, they type that in, they find my article on Forbes and they say, hey, this is on Forbes. That's a credible source. They read the mm -hmm. article. They say, hey, these are good tips. Who is this guy? They find out who I am. Oh, he owns an SEO firm. Well, gee, I like his tips. He's on Forbes. We should just hire this guy's agency. That was the article that really generated the bulk of the results that we got from my articles on Forbes. That article alone, we can trace over $3 million in revenue to that wow. one article that I wrote. So wow. because it tapped into the right audience at the right time, the right way, everything aligned there. And that article has just been wildly successful for us. So if I could point to any one big success in the business, that was it. And it was that alignment of audience, content, and my, what I'm good at, what I know, everything aligned there just perfectly. Hmm. What a beautiful story because it's exactly what you've said. It's when you understood who your customers are. I love that. Can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus, marketing or sales? However, 
I'm not looking for the last shiniest new tool on the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you. Something that you use and really is one of the secrets behind your success. Well, I'll tell you, it's Calendly, which is a scheduling application so that you can schedule appointments with people. But it's not Calendly specifically. What I'm really getting at is meeting with people in person. So no technology. But I use Calendly to schedule appointments. But the best value that I get is sitting down with people and talking with them face-to-face. I learn more from that than I learn from any application, any technology that I could use. And phone is great. Email is great. But meeting people in person, things happen when you meet in person that would not happen any other way. And so whether it's Calendly or any other application that you use to set up those appointments, figure out how to find your audience and meet with them face-to-face. Yeah, you can't meet with thousands of people face-to-face, but if you can meet with a few people now and then face-to-face, I get more out of that than all the other stuff that I'm doing. Hmm. You know, there are a lot of factors that actually affect one's success. However, I always believe that each one of us has their one unique factor that really made it for them. And I want to ask you, what is your key success factor? I think for me... What's worked for me over time is that I, I feel weird kind of saying this, but I really care about people and I try to treat people as individuals rather than as objects, rather than as transactional. And this is hard when you're running a business because there is the math of the business. There's money coming in, there's money going out, and you have to make decisions based on that math. And sometimes the math doesn't work out and you have to let somebody go that you like, that you really enjoy working with and that you care about. And yet you still have to go to that person and say, I'm so sorry, we don't have the money. We can't justify this position. We have to let you go. And I've really struggled with that over the years, letting people go. And often I've kept people on for too long because Hmm. I care about them as a person. And I've tried to push the math of the business into the background. And it's always come back to bite me when I do that. But at the same time, I feel like caring about people has also been what has led to success because it's those relationships that I have with people where I care about them and I know that they care about me, those have borne the most fruit. And even if it hasn't been the most financially lucrative decision to care more, it's been the more satisfying decision. And I don't don't regret caring too much except that sometimes it does force me into awkward situations where even though I'm caring about the person, I have to let them go and mm-hmm. it leads to, uh, it's, it's painful. But at the same time, yeah, I wouldn't give that up and I feel like it will win out in the end. Hmm. And uh, now we came to my mountain question. As I always say, I always imagined this journey in the mind of the customer, in terms of marketing, building the position of the brand or the product in their mind, going step by step from uh, getting to know it to uh, trust and so on, always felt that this is something that uh, equal to climbing a mountain. And I started to ask my guests whether they ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain or plan on climbing a mountain. Do you have any relationships with mountains at all? 
I do. In fact, <laughs> I grew up camping. I grew up hiking. My father loves camping. He loves the mountains. And so I grew up going to the high Sierras in Southern California. Oh. And then when I moved to Hong Kong, I lived in Hong Kong from 2013 to 2016. And I got into trail running out there and there are some mountains there. And I used to run up and down these mountains. Well, run is not quite the proper word. I, maybe a quick hike is a better way to say <laughs> it. I'm not physically fit enough to run up a mountain, but I spent a lot of time out on these trails on these mountains and it's just gorgeous out there. And I loved being out in the nature. I loved the sense of accomplishment of straining to get up this mountain, being drenched in sweat, but then reaching the top and thinking, I made it. I'm here at the top. There's just a feeling about being on top of a mountain that is inspiring, that makes you feel like, hey, whatever else tough is going on in my life, at least I made it to the top of this mountain and here I am. And it's, uh, I, lo I love being up there. I think there's something inspiring and spiritual about the tops of mountains. Hmm, beautiful. Before we say goodbye, I would like to ask you, what is the best way to connect with you for any one of our listeners that would like to be in touch? I'm on LinkedIn and also my website, joshsteimley.com. That's great. We will have both links on the show notes of this interview, as well as links to other things we talked about. Josh, I would like to thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation so much. It's been a pure pleasure listening to you. Thank you, Hyatt, for having me on. It's been a privilege. Hmm. Thank you, and bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss show the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.